Chapter twenty eight of the Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter twenty eight. The breakfast hour was nine o'clock. Dr. Derwent, as usual, came down a few minutes before and turned over the letters lying for him on the table. Among them he found an envelope addressed in a hand which looked very much like Irene's. It had not come by post. As he was reading the note it contained, Eustace and Olga Hannaford entered together, talking. He bade them good morning, and all sat down to table. "'Irene's late,' said Eustace presently, glancing at the clock. The doctor looked at him with an odd smile. "'She left Victoria ten minutes ago,' he said by the Calais Boat Express. Eustace and Olga stared, exclaimed. She suddenly made up her mind to accept an invitation from Mrs. Borisoff. Oh, but what an extraordinary thing, pealed Eustace, who was always greatly disturbed by anything out of routine. She didn't speak of it yesterday. Olga gazed at the doctor. Her wan face had a dawn of brightness. How long is she likely to stay, uncle? I haven't the least idea. Well, she can't stay long, Eustace exclaimed. Ah, oh, I have it. Don't you see, Olga? It means Parisian dresses and hats. Dr. Derwent exploded in laughter. A cute young man. <laughs> now, the ordinary male might have lost himself for a day in wild conjectures. This points to the woolsack, Olga. She laughed for the first time in many days, and her appetite for breakfast was at once improved. In his heart, Dr. Derwent did not grieve over the singular events of yesterday and this morning. He had no fault to find with Arnold Jacks, and could cheerfully accept him as a son-in-law, but it was easy to imagine a husband more suitable for such a girl as Irene. Moreover, he had suspected since the engagement that she had not thoroughly known her own mind but he was far from anticipating such original and decisive action on the girl's part. The thing being done, he could secretly admire it, and the flight to Paris relieved his mind from a prospect of domestic confusion. Just for a moment he questioned himself as to Irene's security, but only to recognise how firm was his confidence in her. Socially the position was awkward. He had a letter from Jack's, a sensible and calmly worded letter, saying that Irene was overwrought by recent agitations, that she had spoken of putting an end to their engagement, but that doubtless a few days would see all right again. Arnold must now be apprised of what had happened, and as all consideration was due to him, the doctor dispatched a telegram asking him to call as soon as he could. This brought Jacks to Bryanston Square at midday, and there was a conversation in the library. Arnold spoke his mind, with civility, but in unmistakable terms. He accused the doctor of remissness. Paternal authority, it seemed to him, should have sufficed to prevent what threatened nothing less than a scandal. Irene's father could not share this view. The girl was turned three-and-twenty. There could be no question of dictating to her, and as for expostulation, it had been honestly tried. 
"'You are aware, I hope,' said Jack stiffly, "'that Mrs. Borisoff has not quite an unclouded reputation.' "'I know no harm against her.' she is as good as parted from her husband and leads a very dubious wandering life oh, it's all right people countenance her who wouldn't do so if there were really anything amiss well dr derwent said the young man in a conclusive tone evidently all is at an end it remains for us to agree upon the manner of making it known should the announcement come from your side or from mine the doctor reflected you no longer propose to wait the effect of a little time oh, emphatically no this step of miss derwent's puts that out of the question i see perhaps you feel that in justice to yourself it should be made known that she has done something of which you disapprove arnold missed the quiet irony of this question well, not at all our engagement ended yesterday with today's events i have nothing to do that is the generous view said dr derwent smiling pleasantly do you know i fancy we had better each of us tell the story in his own way it'll come to that in the end won't it you had a disagreement you thought better of your proposed union what more simple i see no room for scandal be it so have the kindness to acquaint miss derwent with what has passed between us after dinner that evening dr derwent related the matter to his son eustace was astounded and presently indignant it seemed to him inconceivable that arnold jack should have suffered this affront he would not look at things from his sister's point of view absurd to attempt a defence of her really really she had put them all into a most painful position an engagement was an engagement save in the event of grave culpability on either side eustace spoke as a lawyer his professional instincts were outraged he should certainly call upon the jacks and utterly dissociate himself from his sister in this lamentable affair Why? what a shock it will be to mrs jacks she'll get over it i fancy remarked the doctor dryly the young barrister withdrew to his room where he read hard until very late eustace was no trifler he had brains and saw his way to make use of them to the one end which addressed his imagination that of social self-advancement his studies to-night were troubled with a resentful fear lest Irene's unwomanly behaviour, a generation ago it would have been unladylike, should bring the family name into some discredit. Little ejaculations escaped him, such as, really, and, upon my word, Eustace had never been known to use stronger language. When his son had retired, Dr. Derwent stepped up to the drawing-room where Olga Hannaford was sitting. After kindly regretting that she should be alone, he repeated to his niece what he had just told Eustace. Doubtless she would hear very soon from Irene. "'I have already heard something about this,' said Olga. "'I'm sure she has done right, but no one will ever know what it cost her.' "'That's the very point we've all been losing sight of,' observed her uncle, gratified. 
it would have been a good deal easier no doubt to go on to the marriage easier echoed the girl she has done the most wonderful thing i admire her and envy her strength of character the doctor's eyes had fallen upon that crayon portrait which held the place of honour on the drawing-room walls playing with superstition as does every man capable of high emotional life he was wont to see in the pictured countenance of his dead wife changes of expression correspondent with the mood in which he regarded it at one time the beloved features smiled upon him at another they were sad or anxious to-night the eyes the lips were so strongly expressive of gladness that he felt startled as he gazed a joy from the years gone by suddenly thrilled him he sat silent too deeply moved by memories for speech about the present and when at length he resumed talk with olga his voice was very gentle his words all kindliness the girl had never known him so sympathetic with her on the morrow it was saturday olga received a letter from piers otway who said that he had something of great importance to speak about and must see her could they not meet at the camden hill house it being inadvisable for him to call at dr derwent's either this afternoon or to-morrow would do if olga would appoint a time she telegraphed appointing this afternoon at three half an hour before that she entered the house which was now occupied only by a caretaker dr derwent was trying to let it furnished for the rest of the short lease olga had a fire quickly made in the drawing-room and ordered tea she laid aside her outer things viewed herself more than once in a mirror and moved about restlessly when there sounded a visitor's knock at the front door she flushed and was overcome with nervousness she stepped forward to meet her friend but could not speak otway had taken her hand in both his own he looked at her with grave kindliness it was their first meeting since mrs hannaford's death i hesitated about asking you to see me here he said but i thought i hoped his embarrassment increased whilst olga was gaining self-command you were quite right she said i think i had rather see you here than anywhere else it isn't painful to me oh anything but painful they sat down piers was holding a large envelope bulgy with its contents whatever they were and sealed his eyes rested upon it i have to speak of something which at first will sound unwelcome to you but it's only the preface to what will make you very glad it's about my brother i have seen him two or three times this last week on a particular business in which at length i have succeeded here he touched the envelope are all the letters he possessed in your mother's writing olga looked at him in distressful wonder and suspense not one of them he pursued contains a line you should not read they prove absolutely beyond shadow of doubt that the charge brought against your mother was false the dates cover nearly five years from a simple note of invitation to ewell you remember down to a letter written about three weeks ago of course i was obliged to read them through i knew to begin with what i should find now i give them to you let dr derwent see them if any doubt remains in his mind they will make an end of it he put the package into olga's hands 
she overcome for the moment by her feelings looked from it to him at a loss for words she was struck with a change in otway that he should speak in a grave tone with an air of sadness was only natural but the change went beyond this he had not his wonted decision in utterance he paused between sentences his eyes wandering dreamily one would have taken him for an older man than he was wont to appear and of less energy thus might he have looked and spoken after some great effort which left him wearied almost languid incapable of strong emotion why didn't he show these letters before she asked turning over the sealed envelope he had no wish to do so answered piers in an undertone you mean that he would have let anything happen which he could have prevented i'm afraid he would but he offered them now no or, or rather yes he offered them piers smiled bitterly not however out of wish to do justice olga could not understand she gazed at him wistfully i bought them said piers it made the last proof of his baseness you gave money for them and just that you might give them to me wouldn't you have done the same to clear the memory of someone you loved olga laid the packet aside and then with a quick movement stepped towards him caught his hand and pressed it to her lips piers was taken by surprise and could not prevent the action but at once olga's own hand was prisoned in his they stood face to face she blushing painfully he pale as death with lips that quivered in their vain effort to speak i shall be grateful to you as long as i live the girl faltered turning half away trying gently to release herself piers kissed her hand again and again still speechless when he allowed her to draw it away he stood gazing at her like a man bewildered there was moisture on his forehead he seemed to struggle for breath let us sit down and talk said olga glancing at him but he moved towards her the strangest look in his eyes the fixed expressionless gaze of a somnambulist olga no no she exclaimed as if suddenly stricken with fear throwing out her arms to repel him you didn't mean that it's my fault you never meant that yes give me your hand again he said in a thick voice the blood rushing into his cheeks not now you misunderstood me i oughtn't to have done that it was because i could find no word to thank you she panted the sentences holding her chair as if to support herself and with the other hand still motioning him away i misunderstood oh i am ashamed it was thoughtless oh, sit down and let us talk as we were doing just as friends it's so much better we meant nothing else it was as if the words fell from her involuntarily they were babbled rather than spoken she half laughed half cried and otway a mere automaton dropped upon his chair gazing at her trembling i will let my uncle see the letters at once olga went on in confused hurry i am sure he will be very grateful to you but for you we should never have had this proof i of course did not need it as if i doubted my mother but he well i can't be sure what he still thinks Oh, how kind you have always been to us 
Piers stood up again, but did not move toward her. She watched him apprehensively. He walked half down the room and back again, and then exclaimed with a wild gesture, "'I never knew what a curse one's name could be. I used to be proud of it because it was my father's. Now I would gladly take any other.' just because of that man olga protested what does it matter you know well what it matters he replied with an unnatural laugh to me nothing whatever <laughs> you try to think not but the name will be secretly hateful to you as long as you live oh how can you say that the name is yours not his think how long we knew you before we heard of him i'm telling the simple truth it's you i think of when he was drawing nearer to her and again that strange fixed look came into his eyes i wanted to ask you something said olga quickly oh do sit down will you let us talk as we used to you remember he obeyed her but kept his eyes on her face what do you wish to ask olga the name slipped from his tongue. He had not meant to use it, and did not seem conscious of having done so. "'Have you seen old Mr. Jacks lately?' "'I saw him last night.' "'Last night?' her breath caught. "'Had he anything, anything interesting to say?' "'He's ill. I only sat with him for half an hour. I don't know what it is. It doesn't keep him in bed.' but he lies on a sofa and looks dreadfully ill, as if he suffered much pain. He told you nothing? Their eyes met. Nothing that greatly interested me, replied Piers heavily, with the most palpable feint of carelessness. He mentioned, what of course you know, that Arnold Jacks is not going to be married after all. Olga's head drooped, as she said in a voice barely audible, Ah, you knew it. What of that? I see. You knew it. What of that, Olga? he repeated impatiently. I knew it as a bare fact. No explanation. What does it mean? You know, I suppose. In spite of himself, look and tones betrayed his eagerness for her reply. They disagreed about something, said Olga. I don't know what. I shouldn't wonder if they make it up again. At this moment the woman in care of the house entered with the tea-tray. To give herself a countenance, Olga spoke of something indifferent, and when they were alone again their talk avoided the personal matters which had so embarrassed both of them. Olga said presently that she was going to see her friend Miss Bonnycastle to-morrow. If I could see only the least chance of supporting myself, I would go to live with her again. She's the most sensible girl I know, and she did me good. How did you good? She helped me against myself, replied Olga, abruptly. No one else ever did that. Then she turned again to the safer subjects. Um, when shall I see you again? Otway inquired, rising after a long silence, during which both had seemed lost in their thoughts. Who knows? Oh, but I will write and tell you what my uncle says about the letters, if he says anything. Again, thank you. She gave her hand frankly. Piers held it and looked into her face as once before. Olga! The girl uttered a cry of distress and drew her hand away, 
and exclaimed in a half-hysterical voice, "'No! What right have you?' "'Every right. Do you know what your mother said to me, her last words to me?' "'You mustn't tell me.' Her tones were softer. "'Not today. If we meet again—' "'Of course we shall meet again.' "'Oh, I don't know. Oh, yes, yes, we shall. But you must go now. It's time I went home.' He touched her hand again and left the room without looking back. Before the door had closed behind him, Olga ran forward with a stifled cry. The door was shut. She stood before it with tears in her eyes, her fingers clenched together on her breast, and sobbed miserably. For nearly half an hour she sat by the fire, head on hands, deeply brooding. In the house there was not a sound. All at once it seemed to her that a voice called, uttering her name. She started, her blood chilled with fear. The voice was her mother's. She seemed still to hear it, so plainly had it been audible, coming from she knew not where. She ran to her hat and jacket, which lay in a corner of the room, put them on with feverish haste, and fled out into the street. End of chapter 28